Hello and welcome to Filling the Sink, a podcast from Catalan News. My name's Lorcan Doherty and today we're talking politics. Well, we're all back to work and school after the summer holidays. The start of term is always a good time to take the pulse of the political situation here, especially as it coincides with Catalonia's National Day, La Diada, on the 11th of September, a big focal point for the independence camp in particular. This year, things are especially juicy, I would say, after July's inconclusive Spanish general election. The pro-independence parties didn't have a great election on the face of it, but have found themselves as kingmakers, holding the balance of power between Spain's left and right blocs. Coming up in today's podcast, we've got expert analysis from Marc Guinjuan, Associate Professor at the Open University of Catalonia. And I'm joined here in Filling the Sink headquarters by Gerard Scatchfolk. Hi, Gerard. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, so we're coming up to La Diada, uh, Catalonia's National Day. As I said, it's always a big day for the independence movement. What would you say the vibe is this year? Well, obviously La Diada celebrates a defeat, so let's... <laughs> The mood is not as great now. In fact, it's La Diada commemorates the fall of Catalonia during the Spanish War of Succession in 1714. So like a special year, 300 years ago for Catalan history. Yeah, and, and actually kind of joked, it, it commemorates a defeat rather than a victory, which you might expect for, for, a, for a, a national, national day. day. Exactly. In fact, if you want to know more about kind of the history and symbolism of uh, La Diada, we did a podcast on it two years ago, episode 44. Uh, called Catalonia's National Day, History, Symbols, Independence Rallies. Uh, so you can check that out. So that defeat back in 1714 kind of meant the end of Catalan institutions. So, yeah, I suppose that's why it's a focal point for the independence movement mm -hmm. today. Exactly. And currently the situation is that as opposed to last the other last year in 2022, the Catalan government is governed by only one party, Esquerra Republicana, because Junts last October decided to leave the government. And this year it comes after the Spanish election, which now Catalan parties have the power to decide the future of Spain uh, between a left-wing coalition or like going on another snap election or like a right-wing bloc. And uh, on the day itself, there's a, a big march. Uh, it starts at 1714, the time to mm -hmm. commemorate that date. President Pere Aragonés is going to be there. He, he wasn't there last year, actually. And uh, mm -hmm. and last year, there was some booing of some of the leaders as well, mm -hmm. you know, showing a little bit of division within the independence camp. Exactly, because last year, Pere Aragonés, the Catalan president, didn't attend the march because he said it was a march against the Catalan government and against Esquerra for, like, negotiating... Uh, deals with PSOE, the socialist in the Spanish government. But this year, Pedro Aragonés said, no, this year the demonstration is to pressure the Spanish parties to make Catalan voices heard. And these National Day rallies, they always have a big turnout, but maybe this year and, and the last few years, not quite as massive as during the 2010s. Yeah, exactly. Like, for example, in 2012, there were like over 1.5 million people on the streets in Barcelona. That's over a decade ago, and obviously we've had the pandemic, which saw also like a fewer number of people demonstrating. And last year, organizers said that there were like around 700,000 people demonstrating. Obviously, that's according to organizers. Police gave a lower number of demonstrators. That 
maybe fall in enthusiasm among some pro-Indy supporters was also evident uh, in July's election. Here's Mark Guinjuan, Associate Professor at the Open University of Catalonia, on how the independence movement is a little bit demoralised and, as he says, demobilised. So, yeah, we, we knew before the elections that the uh, pro-secession electorate was demobilized. We were expecting many of pro-secession uh, individuals to abstain in this election, and this indeed happened. And we were also expecting many pro-secession individuals to vote for a Spanish left-wing political parties. Why? Well, because there were a lot of fears in Catalonia of the PP together with the extreme right political party Vox achieving a power in Spain uh, with a program, in particular Vox had a program in which uh, they had promised to abolish the Catalan uh, institutions. Many, many pro-secessionist individuals, they eventually vote for uh, Spanish nationwide parties, let's call it, right? Uh, so mostly PSOE and, to a lesser extent, the extreme left Podemos, which in this election was, uh, was called uh, Sumar. The Catalan pro-secessionist parties got actually quite bad results in comparative terms. The worst results in, uh, in, in many, many, many years. In a way, pro-secessionist individuals uh, are a bit lost, in a sense that for more than 10 years, uh, Catalan leaders and the Catalan population, pro-secessionist individuals, they have gone to the streets, they have tried to hold a referendum on, on self-determination, but this has not been actually possible. So now, uh, in a way, before probably the elections, the Catalan pro-secessionist movement didn't know where to go, right, or how to proceed. Right? There were those that advocated for negotiating with the Spanish government, right? the, the Catalan uh, Esquerra Republicana de Catalunya, the left-wing Processionist Party. And then there were all, the others, all these other individuals that they were defending the idea of eventually proclaiming uh, secession, proclaiming independence again, right? this uh, center-to-right uh, political party, uh, Junts. But now, suddenly, things have changed. Things have indeed changed, or because of that election that we had at the end of July. That was Mark Guinjuan. We'll be hearing more from him throughout today's podcast. Uh, so it wasn't a great day on paper for the pro-independence parties in Catalonia. Uh, the socialists won the election, in, in, <laughs> if we look at the Catalan seats. Yeah, exactly. In Catalonia, the socialists won 19 seats, while... Esquerra and Junts, both pro-independence party, both together won 14, so, so seven each. Mm -hmm. The most important thing is that they came fourth and fifth out of the overall results in Catalonia because uh, Sumar, a left-wing coalition led by Yolanda Díaz, the act acting deputy prime minister, was the second party and the People's Party had more votes than uh, Esquerra or Junts. Yeah, they finished up with six seats in Catalonia, so the votes didn't quite translate into seats. If we look at the overall picture across Spain, then the People's Party, as expected, uh, topped the poll. They won 137 seats. The thing is, if you add those to the seats won by Vox, the far-right party who didn't do as well as last time, they won 33 seats. Those two parties that form a right-wing bloc are still sort of a majority. They need more votes from elsewhere uh, if they want to govern, and that doesn't look likely. On the other hand, you've got the left-wing bloc, 
<laughs> the incumbent government, the, the socialists and Sumar, who won less seats, but they have a chance of doing deals with a lot of parties, including Catalan ones. Yeah, exactly. They need at least 176 votes in favor. So far, if you had all of them, you will be able to get those 176 seats. But the problem is that it's not only PSOE or the Socialists and Sumar, the left-wing coalition. It's also Esquerra, Bildu, PNV, so other regional parties, and the support of pro-independence Junts. So there's going to be a lot of post-electoral talks ahead. Yeah, so it's still all up in the air. The two Catalan pro-independence parties in Congress are Esquerra and Junts. They had very different roles in the last term, and their positions this time round are also different. Here's Mark Guinjuan again on that. There are nowadays two pro secession political parties in the in the Spanish Parliament, uh, Esquerra Republicana de Catalunya, which is a left-wing uh, pro-independence uh, party. This party has been uh, collaborating with the PSOE government, with the left-wing government, this, uh, this former uh, legislature. Uh, we can expect this party to rather easily achieve an, uh, an agreement with uh, Pedro Sánchez and uh, the extreme left uh, political uh, party that is in the, in the, in the government. Uh, now it's called uh, SUMAR, right? So uh, we cannot expect uh, a, a very harsh negotiation on this regard, with regard to this, to this uh, left-wing pro-secession party. But then we have the, the center, center-to-right uh, pro-secession party, uh, just called Junes, uh, together. Uh, and this party has been totally in the opposition side this uh, previous legislature. They're willing to proclaim a Catalan uh, secession uh, unilaterally from uh, Spain, so they are not expected or they are not willing strictly to, to speak and to reach an agreement uh, with, uh, with the Spanish political parties. But the thing is that this party has become uh, Crucial. It's the party that would allow the left-wing coalition to, to achieve uh, the power. Without this party, without the votes from this party, this will not be possible, so that we can expect this party to hold uh, really harsh negotiations with uh, PSOE in a view to uh, gain the, the support from, from this party. Then it's uh, the, the relationship between the two main secessionist parties, uh, it's difficult to answer this question, right? So we have Junts, this center-right political party, has been blaming a lot uh, Esquerra Republicana for reaching agreements, but the, now the, situa the situation has changed and the votes from Junts are crucial. So that uh, Junts uh, is in a position uh, in which they can they know that they can negotiate, they, can, they know that they can reach a really good agreement, and despite in the electoral campaign they said that they would not be speaking with other parties unless this would mean holding a, a referendum on self-determination, uh, apparently it seems that Junts is going to sit and talk uh, with uh, the parties in the, in the Spanish government. So. It seems that what was the former position uh, from Junts, which was uh, blaming Esquerra for uh, reaching agreements with uh, PSO, it seems that now perhaps Junts will be also perhaps uh, talking at least and eventually reaching agreements with uh, PSOE and, and SUMAR to, to support uh, the, the investiture of uh, Pedro Sánchez as uh, new prime minister. 
So agreements to elect Pedro Sanchez again might still be further down the line, but there have been some agreements already made, Gerard. Yeah, exactly. On the first big political decision, who is going to be the next Congress speaker? The People's Party, who won the election in the number of seats, wanted for them to lead the Congress. However, with the deal between the Socialists, Sumat, and all the other parties that could um, support a prime ministerial bid by Pedro Sánchez, made uh, Francine Armangol, a socialist, the former Balearic Island president, the Speaker of the House. And what's interesting is the first bit of legislation that she's passed is about introducing Catalan and other languages in Congress. And she, of course, being from the Balearic Islands, a Catalan speaker as well. So that's maybe a nice touch mm-hmm. for the for, in the negotiations. Yeah, exactly. In fact, it was one of the deals that Jones struck with the socialists to make Francine Armangol the speaker of the House. And not even a month after she was uh, sworn in as the speaker, Catalan could become official late in September. So this is a big change. You know, Catalan can be used in Congress by MPs, as can Basque, as can Galician. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the first time since the return to democracy that these languages, uh, which are spoken by millions of people, uh, mm-hmm. are, are being able to be used by those representatives. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the bill to make this possible has already been put forth with the agreement and the support of all those parties that made Francine Armengol the speaker. But the deal to make her, like, the third highest ranking position in Spain after the king, the prime minister, and then the house speaker is for Catalan, Galician and Basque to also be considered official in the European Union. Now, this is something that language advocates have really been calling for for a long time, and there's been very little movement on it mm-hmm. until now because, well, uh, it comes down to politics, doesn't it? The socialists needed these these votes mm-hmm. uh, for to elect the speaker, and all of a sudden there's a bit of movement. Yeah, exactly. In fact, everything will start moving on, or not at all, depending on the decision of the foreign affairs ministers of the Council of the European Union, who are meeting on September 19th. And they need to agree or reject the possibility to start the process for Catalan, Basque and Galician to become official. And coincidentally, Spain at the minute holds the, the presidency of that organization, exactly. which changes every, every six months. Exactly. It's going to take long, or at least that's what we expect, because um, so far the only language that has been going through this process is Gaelic. Irish. Irish. You will be aware of that. So officially it took two years to become an official language. However, because it needed to translate hundreds and hundreds of documents, websites and material, and they lacked translators, it went on for a little bit longer. So the talks to elect a parliament speaker uh, has led to that movement with Catalan and those other languages in the Spanish Congress and in the EU. The conditions and the talks for re-electing Sánchez are going to go to a whole other level. Yeah, exactly, because if the socialists need the support from Junts, Junts have already said that they are open to negotiations, but a pro-independence party in favor of unilateral split from Spain is not like very forthcoming in like, yeah, let's make you the president, because obviously there's like the whole history back from like the 155th article from the Constitution, getting stripped from the Catalan institutions, like a long thing. There's a long history <laughs> exactly, of, a long of animosity between between Junts and the, and the Spanish government. Exactly. And, special, and the socialists now want their support. So Junts has already said that, well, those are our cards. Here's our pre- request 
to be able to start talking about the potential negotiation. And some of the big questions on the table, could there be an amnesty? So could people like Puigdemont, who has been living in exile in Belgium for the past six years since the 2017 uh, Catalan independence referendum, which was, of course, deemed illegal by Spain, could Puigdemont and other leaders be allowed to return? And the other big question is, uh, could a referendum happen? Is there any chance the socialists could agree to a referendum? Well, we put those questions to Mark Guinjuan. So the amnesty, in a certain way, this could be expected from the PSOE, right? It could be expected that some sort of general pardon or a broad pardon is passed. We have the former experience, the specific pardon, right, the indultos were passed. So uh, we can expect that something along these lines could happen. The referendum, indeed, this is, this cannot be expected. And actually, this is probably the, the reason why, actually, Carlos Puigdemont today was speaking about the referendum, but at the end of the day, he didn't mention it as a, as a condition. There was a lot of rhetoric, but Carlos Puigdemont showed himself today as a, as a clever person and a person that has probably go back to the real politics after six years of being in exile. Many of us, we thought that perhaps he was a bit uh, out of the, of the real politics, right? But he himself today showed him as a, as a strategic, as a real politician. And he actually did not speak about a referendum, which would be, of course, a red line for the, for the PSOE and even for, 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 for Sumar. And he rather spoke about more generic issues that, in my understanding, they make the, the election of Pedro Sanchez as a new candidate more likely than uh, I was actually thinking about probably uh, yesterday or, or, or a few days ago, and definitely one month ago, right? Uh, the day after the elections, uh, to me, it was very unlikely to think that uh, an agreement could be reached. But now, uh, to me, it looks, uh, at least we could call it plausible. So an agreement's gone from being very unlikely to plausible. It's actually quite an incredible turnaround. If you take a step back, this is Puigdemont, who is wanted by the Spanish courts. You know, if you read right-wing Spanish media, they'll call him a fugitive. They'll say, you know, he's running from the law. And all of a sudden, you know, he had a press conference this week that Guin Juan was referring to. You know, it, felt, it felt like 2017 again. All the press conference room was like full. It was very, very crowded. There were like MPs flying from Catalonia to, the, to Brussels to like attend the press conference in person. European media outlets, obviously Cat and Spanish media outlets, because he, even though he's not the actual leader of Junts, he's still one of the biggest names in the party. And now he is the biggest name in Spanish politics because it all depends on him. And after being so isolated, the day before this press conference, he met with Yolanda Diaz. Yolanda Diaz is the acting deputy prime minister. Now, she went in her capacity as party leader of Sumar rather than, mm -hmm. you know, as a government representative. But still, it's very significant. And Mark Guinjuan described it as a way to thaw, to defrost the political situation a bit. No Spanish political party had spoke uh, with uh, Carlos Puigdemont for six years, right? So in a way, uh, going to the 
European Parliament speaking with Carlos Puigdemont was a way to legitimize a person that is actually an elected candidate in the in the European Parliament. So it's a it's a legal representative. It's a way to acknowledge that this person it's the it's a political lecture, that it's a valid political lecture that he can have a say. And uh, of course, uh, Yolanda Diaz and, and, and PSOE alike, they, they know that if they want to, to reach an agreement with, with Junts, they will need to speak uh, with uh, Carlos Puigdemont. So this is what yesterday, in a wisely way, probably uh, Yolanda Diaz uh, did. It's brave on her side, right? But, but it's a wise decision. And if you want Junts to join this uh, ship, you need uh, to speak, you need to go to the, to the European Parliament, you need to speak with Carlos Puigdemont and you need to, to legitimize this space and to legitimize not only this space but, but this figure which is an elected politician and it's a crucial leader for at least part of the Catalan processionist uh, movement. So a lot of talk about Carlos Puigdemont and no surprise he's now in a really key role but let's get back to who could be the next Spanish Prime Minister. And uh, before Pedro Sánchez is able to try and command a majority in Congress, it's the turn of Alberto Núñez Fejó. <laughs> the Galician Conservative People's Party leader who has the mandate from Spanish King Felipe VI, Felipe VI to try and attempt to be the next Prime Minister of Spain. And that attempt is going to take place late in September on the 26th and the 27th. And he needs an absolute majority. And it's kind of a foregone conclusion, isn't it? Exactly. Especially because so far he doesn't have an absolute majority. And then he has a second attempt 48 hours later for uh, to gain a simple majority. So like that means more yeses than noes. So some people might abstain. Exactly. But again, we're not expecting that to happen. So then we've got a period of just under two months uh, mm -hmm. where Pedro Sánchez or anyone else will try to garner some kind of majority in Congress to elect themselves as prime minister. Exactly. If Pedro Sánchez achieves this prime ministership, he will revalidate his title. But if not, after 60 days since September 26, a snap election will be automatically called for 47 days later. Yeah, that's a very specific number, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so we've got elections, or we, we would have elections, uh, just after Christmas then? Exactly, on January 14th. But that depends if no prime minister is appointed. So what we can expect is weeks of negotiations ahead, all through September, October, maybe into November. Um, we'll keep you up to date on all them on catalannews.com, and I'm sure we'll be revisiting it in another podcast down the line as well. Time now for our Catalan phrase. What's it this week, Gerard? Well, I have a very fantastic book, Las Sebeu o Las Dieu, with plenty of Catalan phrases, and today's Catalan phrase is Se un curco. Se un curco, which uh, means to be a something, and I don't know what that something is. A pain in the ass. A pain in the ass. Okay, yeah. right. So uh, I'll remember that one then. Uh, ser un curco. Be very insistent. Well, that's us for today. Thanks very much for listening. You can subscribe to Filling the Sink wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks again to Mark Guinjuan. It was great to hear from him this week. And thanks to you as well, Gerard. Thanks to you. We're back again next weekend with another episode of Filling the Sink. Until then, for me, Lorcan Doherty, and all of us here at Catalan News, bona diara, bye for now. Adios.